Welcome to You've Gotta Taste This, the podcast where food people tell you about recipes that you've simply got to taste. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I've been writing about food for almost 20 years. I love to cook, and even more, I love to talk about cooking. So let's get started. My guest today is Aaron Hutcherson, a writer and recipe developer for The Washington Post. Here's the message that he sent me. Hey, Adam, it's Aaron Hutcherson, and you've got to taste this. It's my take on my mother's baked chicken thighs with butter and onions. I think you're going to love it. So this week, we're tasting baked chicken thighs with all kinds of spices, butter, and onions. And you can get the recipe on AmateurGourmet.com. But for right now, here's my conversation with Aaron Hutcherson. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. You've got to taste this. Uh, How's your day going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Tested some recipes, did a little bit of writing, you know, the life of a food writer and recipe developer. <laughs> Sounds nice. Yeah. Are you, you were just saying that you're based out of DC. So is it freezing cold there or is it kind of mild? Um, today it's about 40 degrees. Yesterday it was almost 60. So it was pretty nice, but yeah. I hear there's a cold front coming. Okay. I mean, I kind of miss the freezing cold because I got to cook like such hearty food. I mean, when you're in LA, it's like the same day over and over again. And you kind of, you know, like I just made a salad for lunch. It's kind of depressing. Um, so, <laughs> oh, yeah. how boring. It's nice I mean, weather all the time. <laughs> it is. It's too much of a good thing is the thing. Um, well, I, I think I'll jump right into it. So I messaged you that, you know, I needed you to send me a recipe uh, that you were passionate about. And I was so I loved the recipe you sent me because it was a personal recipe. It was one you grew up with. Um, do you want to tell us about it before I tell you about my experience making it? Um, sure. So the recipe is baked chicken thighs with butter and onions. Um, it's a version, sort of my updated recipe developer take on something that my mother used to prepare for us growing up. And it's very simple and straightforward. You just make a spice mix to season the chicken thighs, put it into a baking dish with butter and onions, as yeah. the recipe title implies, and then bake it until they're cooked through and they're delicious and juicy. Yes. So I had a friends over last night and I made this and with your suggestion. I think you, I think you said serve it with rice. And, you know, I was like, is this going to be like too simple? Like and it just seemed like very straightforward, but it was so good and so satisfying. And that spice mix, it's like all things I had in my cabinet. It was like, you know, cumin and paprika. And um, I'm trying to think what else. I think it called for dry thyme and I didn't have that. So I used oregano. I hope you're not mad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it slide. I'll let okay. It slide. Black pepper, and I'm trying to think what else was in it. Um, uh, I think salt and garlic powder. Garlic powder. Now, okay, there were two flavors in there that are so my mother too, which are garlic powder and paprika. Like my mom barely cooked when I was growing up, but when she did, it would be chicken breasts with like garlic powder and paprika. I remember that color, like the red, like flex all over. <laughs> but there was something about this this dish because I think chicken thighs are like such a powerhouse ingredient. That people don't, you know, most people go out and buy like boneless, skinless chicken breasts because they feel like it's the healthy thing to do. But there's so much more flavor in a chicken thigh. And your recipe has the skin on, which at the end you can broil and get crispy. So you kind of get this like crispy skin that has butter that creates kind of a sauce that like has onions and then all those spices and the salt. And so my, my friend who was over and my husband, like we were like all like grabbing the chicken and like gnawing like savages. Um, and then like all that juice going into the rice. So it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, but I'm curious, like in terms of you, so what, what was the difference between the recipe you grew up with and then the one you tweaked for the Washington post? Um, so the recipe I grew up with, um, my, Mother is a good cook, uh, but she's very limited. <laughs> in what she, I hope she's not listening. Okay. Hi, mom. Um, yeah. And she like she knows what she knows, and she tends to stick to those things. Um, but growing up, she would just bake everything at like 350 degrees, mm -hmm. and so with chicken, it's like hard to pick up any sort of browning. Um, at that temperature so with this recipe I increased it um, and then also my growing up at least I mean now she's slightly converted I've <laughs> taught her some <laughs> the new light but um there was a lot of seasoned salts and garlic salt and 
sort of spice blends that yes. were used. Um, Mrs. Dash. My grandmother used to use Mrs. Dash on everything. Mm-hmm, Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she would use the spice blends on her stuff? Yeah. Whereas I like to have more control over the exact flavor profile. So just call for individual spices. Um, and then also I use just chicken thighs, whereas like there would be sort of a whole chicken cut up that mm-hmm. my mother would cook, um, which still tasted good, but with something like a chicken breast, if you bake it for too long, yeah. it's not going to be the best thing. <laughs> no, not the at most. all. <laughs> and that's the thing about chicken thighs is they're so forgiving. Like you can overcook them a little and they'll still be tender and moist and juicy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's so funny. because so I was reading about you before we spoke and you and I have something in common, which is that we both had like kind of conservative careers or kind of just like traditional careers and then took a sharp left turn into food. I accidentally went to law school, which is my joke. (laughs) And I got really into uh, food and then I ended up being a food writer, but you worked in finance, which I had no idea. (laughs) Accidentally ended up on wall street. (laughs) Crazy. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey from like where you grew up, how you wound up in wall street and then how you pivoted into food writing? Sure. Um, So Long story short, short. I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, well, it takes one to numbers. know one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always been very good at math, and I really like math. I don't know if a lot of people say that. Um, so just when it was time to go to college and pick a uh, major and eventually a career, I was like, I like math. I'm good at it. So let me just focus on that. Um. So I studied engineering and finance. Um, and then before you knew it, I actually sort of randomly ended up getting a master's in finance. Okay. Um, like you sort of stumbled into law school. Yeah. I was there. A friend suggested it. I was like, sure, why not? And then <laughs> a few months later, there you go. Um, and so... Yeah, I was just going down this path and I just kept going and kept going and never really thought to stop to sort of think and reflect, like, do I really want to do this? Is this really what excites me? But also, you know, in college, my only work experience was like teaching, like working as a camp counselor um, Uh somewhere and trying to keep kids from hurting themselves. (laughs) So I didn't really know what real work was like um, right but yeah so I ended where, up in where did you uh where did you grow up i grew up in chicago and then went okay. to school in st louis in st louis okay i mean finance is so interesting because it's like that in terms of contrast like the world of finance and then the world of food i mean even just in terms of how much money you can make i feel like <laughs> i mean you gave up like Wall Street for like, you know, I mean, just based on my own experiences, like writing articles and stuff, it's like, it's pretty hard to, you know, be like rolling in dough as a food writer, but <laughs> but, but, but like rolling in another kind of dough, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, that was not funny. But um, I'm curious, like with the math, the love for math, how does that express itself in cooking? Um, I don't know if it does too much i mean of course you have to work with measurements and fractions and all that stuff um but what i love about math is that it's very logical Mm -hmm. you do a you get b if you do a again you're going to get b um so i guess to a certain extent that's how I try to write my recipes for the public to make them as logical and straightforward as possible, mm-hmm. um, as foolproof as possible. But as you know, there's always going to be external variables that <laughs> are hard to <laughs> yeah. take into account. Well, I find that savory cooking versus baking or sweet cooking, like there's such a difference. Like even last night when I made your recipe, it was like, okay, like a tablespoon of salt. And I actually did follow your instructions. Normally, like if I was doing it, I would have maybe done like two teaspoons of like garlic 
powder just because like I like to play around. But um, but I do find like with savory cooking, like you can add like a pinch of this and a dash of that, like if you're making a soup or something versus mm-hmm. like baking where it's like if you take out like half a cup of sugar, it could like destabilize the whole cake and it will collapse. So, I mean, I do find from my own experience that um, like math oriented people tend to be more interested in baking uh than like savory food especially because of the precision involved and the numbers Ooh. but it's, it seems like you do it all i do a little bit of both i love the precision but then i also like to wing it <laughs> and experiment yeah. and just throw things at the wall and see what sticks very much right and left brain going on at the same time sometimes they get into a fight with each other <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like your your call to food writing i mean was there uh like um like a book you read or like a writer you admired or something that something you encountered along the way where like, well, wait a second, I, I want to do what that person's doing. Or was it just sort of a gradual pull into the this universe? I think it was somewhat a gradual pull. Um, I was one of those kids that like always loved food and being in the kitchen and cooking. Yeah. I grew up watching like, Rick Bayless and Julia Child and like all the PBS food cooking shows because we didn't have cable and food network. Which by Um, the way are the best cooking shows. I still watch PBS. I pay for it now to just watch America's Test Kitchen, Cook Country, like all that stuff. mm -hmm. Uh, That's the best cooking stuff on TV, I think. I know it's really sort of unparalleled um, (laughs) and what they cover and do. Um, so going my going into food was I wanted to be one of those people developing recipes and teaching people how to cook. Um, but then as I got more interested in it and sort of more into the food world, I discovered more of the storytelling aspect of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and just... I love how food can be used as a vehicle to talk about society and culture and class and sort of anything under the sun. Um, And that's sort of where I have taken my food writing or I try to. Of course, there's still the like, what do I do with a bunch of parsley or the difference between stock and broth? But then it's also speaking of garlic powder, it's like, uh, I think it was last year at some point, I wrote an article about garlic powder um, and how it's a useful ingredient because not everyone feels the same way. A lot of people are like, oh, fresh garlic is always the best choice when mm-hmm. in fact it's not. And for me and a lot of other people, like garlic powder powder has been a staple in kitchens and cooking. And sometimes it can be traced to class and um race um and sometimes it's just i don't know i feel like people can be snobby about food and yes, for to... sure i feel like there's a backlash to that now though i mean did you see the menu the movie the menu i saw it and i loved it <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like it's tackling that very idea that like you know if you're paying like a thousand dollars to go to a restaurant and eat like a piece of seaweed and like foam on it Versus like a home cooked meal with garlic powder. I mean, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like that pretentiousness and ridiculousness um, can feel like it's the most sophisticated, but there's really nothing that sophisticated about it. At the end of the day, it's like food should be, you know, nourishing and comforting and all that stuff. So I'm curious in terms of your writing about class and race and stuff, like, was there an article that you wrote that like kicked that off for you? Like, was there something that um, was your first foray into tackling that? Uh, I think my first one was back uh, six years ago, maybe. I was working um, five or six years ago. I was working at Tasting Table, and I wrote about the use of the word ethnic to describe restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was in response to some other article or publication that used it and then I just sort of did deep dive into when we use ethnic versus when we use international or Mm -hmm. um and sort of the breakdown of that and the demographics and 
how that sort of plays into what we think about the perceived value of a cuisine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, like, I can't help but think about the period that came after that, which was, you know, obviously the pandemic, but then the Black Lives Matter movement sort of taking on, you know, more resonance and and especially in the food world. And there were a lot of shakeups in the food world around then. And I'm curious, like, did all of that, I mean, because this was a subject that you wrote about anyway, was that sort of invigorating for you in terms of the stuff you were writing? Did, it, did that make you want to write about that subject more? Or was it um, already something that you were going to write about no matter what? Uh, I feel like it's always been something that I'm going to write about. Um, but it was good in a sense that more people were paying attention to that sort of writing and storytelling Mm -hmm. Um, because there have been people doing the work sort of long before the movement, right? the quote unquote movement happened. Um, And now it's just society at large, I guess, is actually paying attention to it a little bit more closely. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of PBS, um, the Cook's Country. I, I mean, what I'm totally blanking on her name, but the author of Jubilee, um, uh, Tony Tipton Martin. Yeah, she's now the editor of Cook's Country, so she's on that show now, and it's so cool to see her because I love her book. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff that's sort of happening now. So I'm curious, like in terms of what so you're working right now for the Washington Post, and you're you're doing a regular column. So is that a lot of pressure to come up with a recipe every week or how often do you have to come up with stuff um so i don't do recipes every week um it's i usually have a recipe once or twice a month in addition to sort of other articles um that tend to be more geared to like home cooks and how to use ingredients sort Mm -hmm. of along lines of like the garlic powder piece um last week i wrote about broth versus stock and what's the difference and does it matter which one you use what is the Um, difference traditionally speaking broth included uh, meat in addition to the vegetables and spices whereas stock was primarily bones Mm -hmm. um similar with vegetables and spices but the another sort of more modern definition is that broth has been seasoned with salt. So it's mm-hmm. like you can drink it as is in a soup or like bone broth or something like right. that, um, whereas stock is more used as an ingredient to make your stews and braises and things like that. Um, but in terms of the stuff that you buy at the store and most uses it's sort of interchangeable <laughs> right yeah, i just read an article noah galutin who is the first guest on this new podcast um he just wrote an article for eater where he tried to do like a deep dive into like what is in box stock because box stock is one of those rare things that like the main ingredient on the ingredient list is chicken stock <laughs> which is like <laughs> that doesn't really make sense and and it was a really good article because like he tried to like speak to people at Campbell's and speak to people at Swanson and just try to go deeper and deeper and deeper but it was like they weren't giving up anything you know it's and, mm-hmm. and he tried to like look at the government regulations and like it's like a certain amount of liquid per amount, amount of meat product is what the government definition of broth is so it's all that said like at this point like I either use water or sometimes I'll make it myself but I actually just went to the trouble of making a whole gigantic vat of chicken stock with a whole chicken. And I put mm-hmm. them in glass jars and I put the glass jars in my freezer thinking that that would be okay, but I overfilled them. They would be okay, but they all exploded and I wasted a lot of time and money in a chicken's life. <laughs> oh no, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, I want to circle back with you because I, I, I like the idea of like building off this recipe as a way to like learn more about you. So I mean, we kind of skipped over like Chicago and your mother's cooking, but in terms of growing up in Chicago, I mean, was, was the, was the food you ate informed by where you lived? Like, was, was it, I mean, you know, were you eating food, like cold weather food or food that was unique to Chicago? Um, a little bit. I mean, we were very much into the like meat plus us 
starch plus a vegetable <laughs> as right, right. our meals. Um, there's lots of meatloaf and pot roasts and uh-huh. lasagnas and spaghetti and stuff like that. Um, and baked chicken. <laughs> right. And how big was your family? Was it just you or did you have siblings? Uh, I have an older brother and then both my parents. Okay. Got it. So it was table for four and just cozy, like sort of comfort foods, would you say? A lot of comfort food, um, a lot of soul food. Uh, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, um, we would branch out. Um, at some point along the way, my mother started making stir fry where she'd like buy the jarred stir fry sauce <laughs> nice, <laughs> and get some like bell peppers and onions and chicken and cook <laughs> it and serve it with rice. So that was sort of a new recipe, <laughs> a new cuisine for yeah. her to cook. Well, in your article that you sent me about the chicken thighs, you talk about being in the kitchen with your mom and then like learning how to cook yourself and then taking over some of the responsibilities and her sort of teasing you a little bit. But can you talk a little bit about how old you were and like how you first started getting into it? Um, I've been in the kitchen for as long as I can remember. Really? Um, Yeah. It's like, I don't remember a beginning. It just sort of always has been. Um, but yeah, I was very much a mama's boy and just wanted to be in the kitchen with her because she was the primary one who um, made the food. She was a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know, just by osmosis, I sort of picked up what she was doing. And then I'd want to help and do it myself. And there was a sort of, I guess some of it was me wanting to, I don't know if it's gain independence and like trying to figure out how to do it myself as a kid um, or just curiosity is like, what's going on? How does this work? And me needing to figure it out, but that just sort of took hold of me and I ran with it to where I am today, I suppose. Yeah. And so like you, but you took over some of the meeting, like you put like different spices on it and she would say like, what, what's in here? So she was encouraging of you like cooking. Would you she, say? Was in, she was cautiously encouraging <laughs> in the beginning yeah. um, where I would just sort of grab stuff that like the spices that she never touched. I was like, what is this? I want to see <laughs> how it. it works. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like in the chicken, I have, cumin as one of the spices like i don't think she ever cooked with cumin and would know what exactly what it tastes like and could be able to pick it out but so this recipe is like a little combination of you and your mother and like it's like it's sort of like a tribute to her but also your own independent Mm -hmm. spin that's cool um i was gonna ask you you mentioned soul food and like i i'm naive so i don't like how would you define soul food like i know that there's a book out now called soul food and but like what is the definition of soul food would you say um i characterize it as food that has been traditionally cooked by african americans in this Mm -hmm. country um so it's sort of very much intertwined and entangled with southern cuisine right um but i would say that sort of yeah, there's a large Venn diagram where there's lots of overlap, but I think soul food gives an ownership to Black people about the over the cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what are I mean, you said there's a Venn diagram. I'm just curious, like, what are some of the dishes that are not Southern that are considered soul food? And not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> I am just curious about it. But if there's not not a quick answer, that's totally fine. We can move on, but. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a quick answer and I'd probably have to think a little bit more about it. Or maybe a better Um, question is like, what are some of the soul food dishes you remember growing up with and loving? Well, like fried chicken and mac and cheese and smothered pork chops and Mm -hmm. like collard greens. Um, that sounds so good right now. I'm like so hungry. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds delicious. And I'd even like consider spaghetti Hmm. which to be part of soul food because i feel like there's different types of spaghetti but like 
um there's a writer um and i'm drawing a blank on who did this but someone who wrote about black people like black people spaghetti and how it differs <laughs> from other types um it's a thing that for me i think of soul food is like the stuff that i grew up eating that my family cooked and that we always had around at holidays and yeah throughout the years and even weeknight meals what's in the spaghetti i gotta know um i mean nothing life shattering i don't think <laughs> but <laughs> um it's you know your standard ground beef and spices and tomatoes my mom would sometimes put a little bit of barbecue sauce in it Oh, see, um, okay, that's, a little bit of smokiness. Cool. Yeah. Um, other people do their own things, but we would eat spaghetti um, as an entree, but also as a side to go mm-hmm. with like fried chicken or fish. Nice. Um, which I think is weird to some people. It's like <laughs> fried chicken and spaghetti. <laughs> but yes, it. I think the barbecue sauce ties it together. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, not a lot of like, it doesn't taste like barbecue sauce, but you would sometimes add like a squirt, like a couple tablespoons just to give some smokiness, a little bit of extra sweetness and a hint of um, spice. So I looked, so am I wrong in saying that you also went to culinary school? Is that right? I did. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? I mean, going from, was that after Wall Street? Uh, it was at the same time. <laughs> oh, at the same time. School. Okay. Where'd you Part go? Time. I went to the French Culinary Institute. Um, I knew which, it. Yeah, that used yeah. to be right there because I used to. I, I had friends that worked there, and I I spoke at like one of the food writing classes once. It's sad that it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But did you have a good experience going there? I learned a lot. Um, and I was talking with someone recently who was like, "Is." culinary school worth it and for me I think it was because I'm the type of person who learns best with structure Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I need deadlines and someone to sort of help uh, guide me and sort of force me to do the things that I need to do Mm -hmm. Um, and plus like sure you could learn a lot of the stuff on your own by reading books and looking at YouTube videos and right. whatnot. But yeah, for me, I learned best in a classroom setting. And so, yeah, I definitely got a lot out of culinary school. Well, I'm curious, like as somebody who like did exactly that, like I, you know, mostly watch PBS cooking shows and read cookbooks and I've never been to culinary school. Like, so like, what were the things that changed the way that you cook having been through culinary school? I mean, is it like how you hold a knife, like how you sear a piece of meat? I mean, were there certain techniques and things that that shook up the way you do things? Uh, yes, but like the biggest takeaway from me is salt. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and just how transformational it can be in a dish mm-hmm. um i think beforehand i was very cautious and timid i mean as people should be to a certain extent like m- many americans eat and consume way too much sodium um, right but on the flip side of it using salt properly can really enhance the taste and flavor of a dish to a level that I hadn't realized before. Mm-hmm. Um, as I remember, I think it was maybe just like a soup or a pot of lentils or something. And we just like add more and add more. I'd be like, Oh, add a pinch. And then chefs would just like <laughs> add almost <laughs> a handful. It. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's how this is supposed to taste. Right. Um, and so it just sort of opened up, my mind to what food can taste like 
It's funny because I I did a little quick um, Instagram story last night of the chicken when I was when I was doing it and and I had, I had the little slices of butter on each thigh and somebody wrote me and they're like you cook with a lot of butter I mean I I'd be scared to use that much and I'm like do you know what they do in restaurants and like you know it was like <laughs> an eighth of a tablespoon on each thigh I mean that's nothing but it's like people get so timid about butter and salt and all that stuff that it's like when you go out and the food is so good it's like that's why it's so good because they're mm -hmm. seasoning it properly and they're using the right amount of fat and all that stuff. So I know that the French Culinary Institute had like a restaurant attached to it. Did you do that thing where you had to work in the restaurant to graduate? Mm -hmm. what, what was that like? Um, we it was the last sort of level of the program um, where you rotate through each of the stations like appetizer, fish, um, pastry, mm -hmm. uh, entree. And I mean, it was cool in the sense that I was serving food to the public and I had no clue who they were. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely very different. I later went and worked um, in a non-school restaurant environment. Really? Um, where in school, there was like four of us at each station rotating. So there was never really too much for us to focus on at one time versus uh -huh. working in an actual restaurant kitchen where there's a million things going on at once. Are you, can you tell me what restaurant or is it a secret? Uh, no, um, I worked at Northern Spy. It doesn't okay. exist anymore, but it was a restaurant in the East Village. In yeah, Manhattan. that sounds very familiar. So so you've done a lot. Like you've been to, you've worked on Wall Street, worked in restaurants, now you're writing a column, but um, was there ever a moment where you thought you were going to be a chef at a restaurant? Like, like that's, that was the path that you were going to be on. Mm, yes. And no. Um, so I ended up working at the restaurant for about a year. Um, and I, it was the hardest I've ever worked in my life, but yeah. I also really enjoyed it. But this was also, a decade ago <laughs> <laughs> right. um, when I was making something along the lines of like $10 an hour. Okay. And so right. it was just unsustainable. Right. That'll buy you like a eighth of a bottle of olive oil at like, you know, some fancy store in New York. So <laughs> um, I actually, we skipped over the wall street part. So like, were you a trader? Like, were you on the floor? Like one of those people on the TV? No, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I worked in wealth management. So it was much calmer, <laughs> much right. slower paced. <laughs> so when you were in that world, I mean, I feel like the people that would work in that world would be so different than food people. I mean, I feel like, I, I mean, I'm just imagining it based on like the wolf of wall street, but like, I have no idea, but like, did you like that world too? Or were you anxious to get away from it? Um, hmm. I think for the most part, I look at it with a little bit of like rose tinted glasses, mm -hmm. like, oh, was, because I know this is not the experience everywhere and probably even people within the same company, but the, for the most part, the people that I worked with were actually pretty nice right? Um, and good people. And like some of them I still keep in touch with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also remember the sort of other side of the coin, like at the time there reached a point when I was like, I need to get out of here because mm -hmm. <laughs> just because I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the yeah. rest of my life. Now, in terms of like, now, part of the reason I went to law school is because I had a Jewish mother whose dreams for me were to be basically be a doctor or a lawyer. And that was it. And so I, I was um, pre-med in college and that didn't stick. And then I went to law school. But I'm curious, like with your mom being mostly encouraging of you cooking growing up, like was 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 part of the path into finance, like a parent pleasing thing? Or was it something that you independently had wanted to do? I guess I'm asking like, is the food career something that like you was a something that your family was encouraging as a career or was it something you had to arrive at on your own? Well, I think at the time, um, like outside of seeing 
the folks on PBS, I didn't really think of food as a real career. Mm-hmm. Um, like growing up mostly in the nineties. Um, and so it was never really something that crossed my mind of like, Oh, I can do this for a living or I want to do this for a living. Right. Um, I was like, Oh, maybe I feel like I even back then I was like, Oh, I'll be one of those people that when they retire goes to Italy and opens up a restaurant <laughs> or something. Right. Like the, you'll be like the white Lotus or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I never really, the thought of like going to culinary school and making food my career never really crossed my mind sort of growing up it was always like oh this is something that I enjoy and then it'll be a fun hobby that I can maybe explore later at some point mm-hmm. um but it was sort of when I started working in finance and I was like oh this is what having a job is like <laughs> yeah not fun <laughs> I have to do this every day for the next yeah. 40 50 years oh I need to find something that I like a little bit better it's like oh I like food so let's let's think about that so when you graduated oh go go, go ahead sorry I was like um yeah my parents were definitely a little suspicious oh yeah your parents Uh, right right yeah I was like are you sure you want to leave this good job to go cook (laughs) (laughs) um they were never discouraging per se but mm-hmm. they always had their questions and they were like are you sure just uh and I was like yep that's what I want to do um but I've always been the person who like I think everything out <laughs> maybe too much sometimes mm-hmm. it's always well planned out like I know the risks and rewards and if I'm doing something, it's because I've thought through all the various possibilities and I've arrived at this is the best decision. So I think they sort of picked that up and was like, okay, like, great. go ahead. Well, that's <laughs> so nice. Yeah, that's great there, that they support what you're doing. I mean, I have to ask, I mean, it feels like it's the most taboo subject and we never talked about it, but it, it is the money subject because, I mean, I wouldn't bring this up except for the fact that you're coming from the world of wealth management into the world of food writing. So we, I mean, I looked at your Instagram before we talked and like, I saw that like, you're no longer doing um, branded content. Is that what it said? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like it said, like, no, not currently taking brand. So, I mean, have you found a way to monetize your food career in a way that actually allows you to use your financial skills to like manage your money? And like, cause I mean, it's sort of what sounds like, well, that's what you were talking about, about, like thinking ahead, making this leap. I mean, were you able to make it work because you understand how to deal with money and how to make it work? Well, now, like working at the Washington Post, I have a real salary (laughs) with benefits and everything. Yeah. Um, But yeah, leading everything before this, like I saved a bunch of money Mm -hmm. when I started to go to culinary school and then did everything I could to sort of manage my expenses when I was only making $10 an hour or mm-hmm. worse working for free at yeah. internships. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've always been just very good at managing my money and my expenses and I was able to survive when I was making almost nothing. Yeah. Now, thankfully I'm making more than almost nothing. So <laughs> things have worked out. But I also recognize that that's not the case for everyone. Like, I'm very privileged in that there aren't a lot of places where you can go work full time writing about food and like 100 percent. Yeah. Um, It's, I remember, like, I think Amanda Clute once wrote for like Eater, like, it is possible to make money as a food writer. And I was like, what? Like, it was his article. (laughs) Because I mean, I, you know, I, I go up and down, like, you know, I've had moments where like, you know, like I would sell a book or something like, okay, great. Like now, I mean, when I first sold my first book, I thought I was rich. I was like, oh, I'm rich. (laughs) Like, that's it. Like, I can retire now. And I blew through that money. And uh, and then taxes came up and like, it was like, oh, you (laughs) owe like half of that back. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, I was going to say that. So in terms of like your actual cooking and your frugality or your your um, 
sensitivity to like not spending too much money, like, do you feel like it informs the dishes you make? And because it, it is sort of your subject, like you mentioned class and, you know, um, like when you go food shopping, for example, are you looking for like the discount, like what's on sale? I mean, is that sort of, does that inform like how you cook or is it not so much the leading factor? Um, it's not, well, somewhat. <laughs> it's like, I feel like all my answers are like, yes, maybe. Yeah, um, sure. But the yes part of that is um, for a while now, I've been sharing pantry friendly recipes mm -hmm. that are all built around either frozen or shelf stable products. Okay. Um, and the thought process behind that is like with the pandemic, a lot of people were like, oh, I need to cook for my pantry because I can't go out shopping as much as I used to. But a lot of people have had to use pantry ingredients before the pandemic started and like mm -hmm. even today in like food insecure areas. And um, so I thought it was important to create delicious recipes that more people um, had access to the ingredients mm -hmm. and could cook with. Um, so yeah, I definitely do try to take that into account. I think that's not all the recipes that I do, right. um, but that's something that I think about and am conscious of when I'm looking at sort of my slate of dishes that I want to develop. It's funny because I, I make a lot of pasta and people on my Instagram are always like, how do you eat so much pasta? But it's actually for that very reason, just because I have tons of dried pasta in my pantry. And if I'm feeling lazy, I just open up the pantry, pull out a thing of pasta and then either make a tomato sauce or like if I have a vegetable in the refrigerator, like do something with that. But I'm curious, like what are your other like back pocket pantry dishes that you'll make if you're not going to go to the store? I mean, all I can think of is like carbs, but is there anything else you can make from the pantry? I mean, there's a lot of carbs. So there's yeah. pasta in various forms. Um, one of my favorites is like, you can use regular like Italian pasta or if you happen to have um, some sort of Asian noodles, then cook those and make a quick like spicy peanut sauce with mm -hmm. peanut butter and either sambal or sriracha or whatever hot sauce you have, some uh -huh. vinegar and water. And then... If you have some fresh vegetables, great. Or even if you have canned or frozen vegetables, add that in and it's uh -huh. delicious. Um, fried rice is always great mm -hmm. um, to make. Let's see. Those all sound uh, good. Yeah. Again, I'm very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one of my favorite recipes, pantry recipes, is a black bean and pumpkin stew. It's mm. like canned pumpkin puree, canned black beans, some orzo, some like whole cumin and coriander, maybe an yeah. onion. And like, that's pretty much it. Pumpkin and black beans go well together. I actually bought a squash not too long ago and I like was trying to turn it into a soup, but it was kind of didn't feel like dinner because it was just like it felt like a Thanksgiving like appetizer. It was just butternut squash soup. So I actually dumped in a can of black beans and then added a bunch of like random spices and stuff. And it was a great combination because you have the sweetness of this of the soup or the squash. And then like the black beans give it like a little more earthiness or balance it out. So I'm curious in terms of the the writing part of this. So we spoke about culinary school and mm -hmm. we spoke about growing up in your mom's kitchen. But where did the interest in writing come from? Were you always interested in it? I actually used to avoid writing at all costs. <laughs> okay, like you're a math, school, math guy. Yeah. Yeah. In school, I sort of despised it. <laughs> um, yeah, writing papers was never my favorite assignment. But I guess it's just because I never really wrote about anything that interested me too uh -huh. much. Um, but I think I've always had some level of talent for it mm -hmm. and I've just been able to nurture it over the years, um, and had some amazing people 
helped me okay. <laughs> nurture it over the years as well. Yeah. Um, lovely editors out there thank you all for <laughs> yeah the <laughs> unsung, unsung heroes of, of all of us food writers or the people who yeah. like prevent us from sounding like idiots uh, so what was the first piece that you sold as a food writer oh well i guess you had, um, your, you had your food blog right so you started the yeah food i had blog. my food blog um and yeah i started that in 2009 Okay. So, which feels like forever ago. Mine was um, 2004, so I must be much older than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ancient. I'm almost 20 year anniversary of my food blog, which is crazy. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you started that 2000. Started that. Yeah. And then out of culinary school, I interned at a food magazine mm-hmm. um, called Food Arts, which no longer exists as food media publications sometimes do um (laughs) and so that was like my first real chance to write anything that wasn't just for myself and my five friends (laughs) (laughs) that read my blog right right so i mean in terms of like the becoming like the writer that you are today like tackling the subjects that you do um was there like a an article that you wrote that like was the premiere version of that or like the first time you did that? Did I ask you this already? I might have already asked you this. Um, we talked a little bit about with like the use of the word ethnic in restaurants. But, right, right. Um, I don't know. I think it's just been sort of a slow and steady evolution ever since then. Because around that same time, I think I also wrote something about the juicy lucy burger um which i don't know if you're familiar with but no what's that (laughs) it's a (laughs) it's a cheeseburger but the cheese is inside the patty Mm, okay um and it's popular in minneapolis um as i went there for a friend's wedding and had it i was like oh this is great um and then i ended up writing about the experience and I don't remember what I wrote <laughs> or what I said but I just remember writing about it um and got to have fun so like sometimes it's fun and lighthearted. other times it's sort of more serious in-depth looks at race and culture and sometimes it's everything in between so and do, are you one of the people that don't read the comments or do you, do you look at, um, do you get a lot of responses to the stuff that you write and do you engage with them? Um, I usually will look at the comments and get a sense of where they're going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like after you read the first couple, you're like, oh, is this going to be a good thing to read or a bad thing right. to read? Yeah, I get it. I've been there. I, I've gotten so much better about it. I used to take them so personally. And now it's like, you piece of crap. This is the dumbest thing. And it's like, eh, fine. You're you're some sad person, right? You know, I don't know. I just I don't take it seriously anymore just because mm-hmm. people are so crazy on the internet. Um, I was gonna ask you, so you grew up in Chicago, then you lived in New York, and now you're in DC. So which city do you like the most? And and which which one has the food that you like the most? Oh man. I mean, I sort of I guess I'm from Chicago and like live there for most of my life but I don't know all of that was before I turned 18 so okay I don't know how much I really know Chicago um or at least as much as I know New York where I spent 13 years mm-hmm. um and New York really sort of shaped me into the adult that I am today. Yeah. Same. Um, <laughs> so I love New York. I was sad to leave. Yeah. Uh, I still visit a couple times a year. <laughs> it's so funny because so. I, when I did a cookbook, I, I went to DC um, to do like an event and I did like a and a and, um, and somebody was like, like, it was like, Adam, like, you know, DC is like really on the 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 food map now. We're getting so much acclaim uh, for our restaurants. Like, can you tell us like your favorite DC restaurants? 
And I, I was like, I have no idea. Like, I, I never, <laughs> I never spent any time there. So I was like, I don't know. I felt really bad. But like, have you taken? I mean, I, it is true that DC does have amazing food, right? Or now it does. Like, it's doing. Yeah, that, DC yeah. has some good food. Um, I'm still not extremely knowledgeable about the DC food scene, mm-hmm. um, just because, especially now, I don't really cover restaurants a whole lot, um, but. I do definitely have like a handful of places that I enjoy and frequent and mm-hmm. I'm happy to tell you about. Okay, good. I'll, I'll be prepared <laughs> for the next time. But what, what, were the pla- what were the places in New York that you loved the most or like the food that you missed the most from New York? Uh, so I lived in Astoria um, okay. and I loved all the Greek food mm-hmm. and like just being able to stop at a food truck and get a suvaki pita or whatever mm-hmm. and um call it a day uh dc also isn't as much into breakfast sandwiches as new york is <laughs> you're right the classic like egg sandwich cheese mm-hmm. and sausage mm-hmm. yeah those are good mm-hmm. yeah i used to yeah those were lifesavers <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it was a treat sometimes it was a salve to help cure whatever i did the night before <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need those those are important that's what diners are so great for in new york too you can go to a diner and just get like mm-hmm. big plate of like hash browns or something and like cure your hangover um well aaron this flew by we're almost done um uh, i feel like we covered a lot of ground so usually i start by, by talking about the thing you told me to taste that's a, you've got to taste this thing but now i'm going to ask you what was the last you've got to taste this dish or thing that you experienced that was like the most memorable thing you've tasted recently oh man the most memorable thing it could be something you cooked it could be something that you had at someone's house something that you ate out on the road i mean it could be anything it could even Mm -hmm. be what you had for breakfast or lunch today (laughs) (laughs) um well today the recipe that i tested i'm working on um and air fryer old bay chicken wing recipe wow yeah okay that uh, it's pretty good if i do say so myself that sounds <laughs> I mean, really, very like, simple but very good old bay on a chicken wing is such a good idea mm-hmm. i never thought of that okay so are you an air fryer user i don't i don't have one but i i see them all the time now on people's instagrams and stuff so are, are you somebody that advocates the ownership of an air fryer I'm very new to air fryer ownership. I just got it in December. So it's mm-hmm. only been a couple months, but. And I used to be very much anti air fryer. It's like, yeah. what's the point? It's just a convection oven. Yeah. But now I might be changing my tune a little bit. What made you change your tune? I'm curious. Like, what, what do you like about it? Uh, especially as like a person that lives alone, it's the perfect size for cooking meals for one or two mm-hmm. um it's even better with leftovers like i used to heat up leftovers a lot in the oven mm-hmm. um but this just does it quicker and like crisp or sort of re-crisp things better yeah. than the oven does um yeah i mean i'm not going to use it for everything obviously well not obviously but <laughs> yeah yeah um but, it's but good definitely for... i see it perks all right all right so this was not an infomercial for an air fryer you will not be getting branded content money for this uh, <laughs> no. but this was so much fun talking to you so thanks so much for doing the podcast and um next time i'm on the east coast we'll have to meet in real life yeah let me know all right well have a great rest of your day thanks so much Aaron. all right you too. bye Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you'd like the recipe for Aaron Hutcherson's baked chicken thighs with onions and butter, head over to AmateurGourmet.com and check out my newsletter where I send it out every Monday and Thursday on Substack. And of course, you can follow me and all of my cooking adventures on social media at Amateur Gourmet. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All right, we'll see you back here next week. Have a good one.
Okay, thanks for listening to this week's episode of You've Got to Taste This. If you want the recipe that I made that Felicity sent me for the poppy seed bread, I'm going to include it in my newsletter, which is amateurgourmet.substack.com, and it's free and it comes every Monday. And if you want to see all my cooking and everything on Instagram, I'm amateurgourmet on there, as well as Twitter and TikTok. All right, I'll see you back here next week, and let me know if you made this. Tag me in your posts. Bye.